Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. We are gathered here together today to join in marriage, Mark and Tiffany. Thank you for joining us. You may be seated. Mark and Tiffany, today is a sign of your love. Marriage is a beautiful bond. It's the union of two people who were filing their taxes separately, but will now be filing together. (laughs) To symbolize the special bond, you give away a ring. This ring is an infinite circle, and it symbolizes the never-ending cycle of challenges and difficulty that lie ahead of you. The vows you are about to make must be taken with caution and much consideration of their content. Mark, do you have a ring? Mark, face your bride, place the ring on her finger, and repeat this after me. I, Mark. I, Mark. Take you, Tiffany. Take you, Tiffany. To be my lawfully wedded starter wife to be my lawfully wedding starter wife. For better and better. For better and better. For richer as we get into debt. For richer as we get into debt. As long as you stay skinny. As long as you stay skinny. I promise to yell at you. I promise to yell at you. To ignore and neglect you. To ignore and neglect you. And compare you with other women. And to compare you with other women. From this day forward, from this day forward, I promise to be faithful to you. I promise to be to be faithful to you until I convince the girl at work to sleep with me. Till I convince the girl at work to sleep with me. Till divorce do us part. Till divorce do us part. Tiffany, do you have a ring? Place the ring on your groom's finger and repeat this after me. I, Tiffany, take you, Mark. I, Tiffany, take you, Mark. To be my starter husband. To be my starter husband. From this day forward. From this day forward. As we try this out for a while. As we try this out for a while. To join with you. To join with you. As long as I can manipulate you. As long as I can manipulate you. To demean you. To demean you. To tear you down in front of my friends. To tear you down in front of all of my friends. And to despise you. And to despise you. I promise to be faithful to you. I promise to be faithful to you. As long as you make a ton of money. As long as you make a ton of money. I am completely yours. I am completely yours. Most of the time. Most of the time. Till divorce do us part. Till divorce do us part. Mark and Tiffany, you've made this commitment today, hoping that you'd be one of the lucky ones in which their marriage actually works out that you'd be able to tolerate each other for a lifetime. And I admire your ambition. And as witnesses here, we're honored to share this special moment with you. We wish you the best of luck, even though your chances are probably right around 50-50. Mark and Tiffany, because of the promise you made to each other today, I'm proud to pronounce you husband and wife. Mark, you may kiss your bride.
Well, well, well. Congratulations to the disillusioned couple. May their life together be better than what we expect. Um, August 12th, 1995. A day that changed my life forever. I know what you're thinking looking at that picture. Mandy's put on a few pounds. I can see it all over your face right now. Be kind to my wife, okay? Have you ever said those words before? A day that changed my life forever. But did it really change forever? That's really what I'm talking about today is forever. Did your life really change forever or was it a commitment for say, you know, three to five years? Maybe eight to 10? Maybe you could get out six with good behavior or something. On that day that life changed forever for me, I was moving out of my parents' house once and for all. On that day that my life changed forever, I now had another human being that I was responsible for. It wasn't just me anymore. It wasn't just about my selfishness anymore. I now had another human being depending on me for protection, for provision, for comfort, for companionship. When planning a wedding ceremony, I require couples to go through three counseling sessions with me, premarital counseling. So if you're thinking about getting married, uh, before you ask, I, I, you need to know I will not perform a ceremony without it. I believe in it that much. Plus, it gives you a $32.50 discount when you go to buy your marriage license. So it's worth your time. It is. But when planning a wedding ceremony, during the last session, I always tell the couple that the only thing that I require is a commitment through wedding vows. That's it. That's the only thing you have to have in your ceremony is a commitment through wedding vows. I'll do whatever you want me to do as long as it will not cost me my ministerial license. I will do whatever you want me to do during your wedding ceremony. If you want me to dance, I'll dance on stage. I'll do it, okay? I can be bought. It, it, it can happen. And, and so you just, you just know that I require a commitment through verbal wedding vows being said before God and before everybody else in that room. And so during my wedding vows, I made certain statements. And maybe you made some of these statements. We have pretty traditional wedding vows. And so we said things like this, for richer or for poorer. Anybody else make that statement during your wedding? For richer, for poorer? Did you really know what you were saying? I remember when I first went into ministry. Before ministry, I, I had, you know, a decent job. Mandy had a good job. And so we were used to living one type of lifestyle. And then whenever we went into ministry, I was making less than $19,000 a year. Not 19000 less than 19000 And during that time, I mean, just, just a couple of months after we went into ministry full time, Mandy had the twins. And so she left work. And so now we're we have to survive on my sole income under $19,000 a year. That's what we had to survive on. And so we had to, to learn to live off of that small income. We had to learn to live within our means. And so that meant that we had to make some sacrifices. And one of those sacrifices was we had to sell her car. 
We did. I had a little small Ranger pickup. It was paid for. And, and so we, we had to sell her car. She had a, a Mazda 929, four-door, moonroof. I mean, this leather interior, it was nice, but we had to get rid of it. And, and what happened was, by the grace of God, somebody gave us, you know, a, a hand-me-down car. Not near as nice as the 929, but we had a family member that said, here, you can drive this one. And so we, we drove the hand-me-down car. I remember during that first two years, we didn't buy new clothes. First two years of ministry, we didn't buy new clothes. We just, we couldn't, we couldn't afford it. When you're living under $19,000 a year, you can't afford to buy new clothes. And so then I got the job offer in Tampa and we were making a considerably more amount of money. And so I, I remember when we first moved there, I'll never forget this, Mandy. We went to the Citrus Park Mall in Tampa and we went on a shopping spree buying new clothes. We made a commitment for richer or for poor. I know we weren't poor by the world's standards, but for the average American family and in income, we, we, were, we were pretty poor. We made a statement like this during our wedding vows. In sickness and in health. Anybody make that statement, in sickness and in health? Mm. Little did we know that nine months into our marriage, my new wife would be diagnosed with cancer. We didn't realize what we were saying, standing on that stage in front of everybody. The phrase in sickness and in health, it sets us up for the unexpected because no one ever goes into a marriage expecting their spouse to get deathly ill. I know I didn't, I didn't sign up for that. She knows this, we've talked about it, this won't catch her off guard, but the hot young woman that I was married to was replaced with a frail, weak, and hairless individual. It's not necessarily what we had planned. I can assure you, during that time, she didn't feel very desirable either. And I don't wish it on anyone. I, I would hope that nobody in this room would ever have to go through that. But let me tell you, until you experience the love and sickness and in health, you do not know the full extent of your wedding vows. We made a statement like this during our wedding vows. Till death do us part. Anybody? Anybody say that? Till death do us part? Or until we are parted by death? This is the phrase that scares me. Partially because I've taken the necessary precautions and I have a decent life insurance policy on myself. And I figure if Mandy gets real good and tired of me, she just might be creative enough to make my death look like an accident and then she would live a pretty good life after we are parted by death. I think we should change those wedding vows too till we are parted by death because of natural causes or an unplanned accident that my spouse is not involved with. <laughs> not that I thought about it or anything, I'm just saying. I have pre-planned for my family because I care about them. I love them so much that I have pre-planned that in the event that something happens to me and I am no longer around, I am no longer alive, they have provision. I have, I have planned that ahead of time. Have you? Have you? Have you love your family enough to where you would pre-plan for that? Let me just go ahead and tell you. This is not going to be one of those sermons that makes you feel good. 
Matter of fact, this is a heavy, heavy sermon. This series is going to be a series that's not just about marriage, but but it's a realistic approach to what marriage really is and what, what it looks like and what it feels like at times. During my last series, Rut, Routine, and Revival, I told you that in order to get out of a rut, sometimes you have to have something that is extremely different. You've got to have that shock in your life to get you out of that rut. And I'm telling you, today is that moment. If you survive this sermon, it's that shock to get you out of the rut that you're in in your marriage and in your family. And so I'm not going to give you a step-by-step process on how to improve your marriage. I'm going to keep it very real today. We're going to talk about some real struggles, but we're also going to allow the living Word of God to speak truth into our lives because I wholeheartedly believe that everything that you need, all the instructions that you need for your marriage are found right here in these pages. I believe that with my whole heart. And I believe that but probably the only reason Mandy and I have success in our marriage is because of the Word of God and how we've applied it to our lives. That's it. That's it. I've, I've counseled with people and they said, well, if we just had a marriage like yours, you can. But you've got to be willing to do what this says. You've got to be willing to trust God to put your life in his hands when nothing else makes sense. And so to get us out of that rut today, I've decided just to completely mess you up right off the bat. I have... I'm about to show you something that many of you did not even know was in the Bible. You've probably never seen it. And some of you, you're not going to like it very much. But that's all right. I didn't make it up. I did not go and rewrite all of your Bibles last night while you were sleeping. Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to be reading verses 23 through 30. Matthew 22, 23 through 30. The same day Sadducees came to him. Who say there is no resurrection. So these people that come to him, they don't believe in a life after death. They don't believe in a resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Hold on. Wait a minute. Time out. Time out. This is Old Testament. This is what, what Moses said in the Old Testament. And here's need for concern right now because I have three brothers. And I can tell you, I don't care about taking on their wives and their children. Love them all, but no, no thank you. And so they're, they're quoting the Old Testament here and basically saying that Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died and having no offspring left his wife to his brother. So to the second and third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the in the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose, life will she, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. Now, let me tell you, I can see, I can see it going off right now in, in the room. I, I see some awakening moments happening because some of you are very concerned because you're terrified right now that you may have to be the husband or the wife of your ex in heaven. That's a, that's a legitimate concern, Right? I mean, if you're divorced and remarried, and, and, and this is the question they're asking here. I mean, I know they're, they're kind of throwing a different scenario and going, throwing some Old Testament law in there. But they're, they're trying to trap Jesus here in this moment. And they're trying to, to, to corner him. And, and Jesus gives them this answer. And you're not ready for this answer. You're not. It's going to be a relief for others. But for some of you, it, it's going to absolutely just mind boggle you here for the next few moments. But listen to what Jesus said. But Jesus answered them, you were wrong. Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. 
For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Whoa. This is new knowledge for most of us in the room. I'm going to give you a moment to process this because Jesus just told you that your marriage here on earth does not carry over into heaven. For years, I thought, honestly, I thought, when I get to heaven, you know, Jesus is gone. He's going to prepare a mansion for me. I mean, that's, that's what's going to happen. And I've always thought that when I get to heaven, that Mandy and I are going to have the same address. And for the most part, for most of our marriage, except for years about six and seven, for most of our marriage, I've wanted her to live with me in heaven. And I, I thought, well, you know, my kids, you know, they'll, they'll live with me under my roof and my mansion in heaven. I, I, that's what I expect. And some of you in the room that you have good marriages, you, you, you expect the same. And so you walked in here today and you just, I just shattered all of your dreams. And you're like, now, pastor, I'm depressed. I'm going to go out and sit at the bar and drink all day because you just ruined everything about heaven. But others in the room, somebody sitting beside you right now, they're rejoicing <laughs> that they are not going to be married to that man or woman sitting next to them. If you're like me and you enjoy your marriage, this is just hard for you to accept. Somebody else is saying, yes, if I'm faithful on earth to this man, my reward in heaven is that I will not have to spend eternity with the same man. Or, or maybe you're thinking, you know, if I can put up with her grumbling and her complaining here on earth, here and, and right now, I can spend eternity in peace without her. Fair enough. I get it. But let me tell you what I'm thankful that the Bible does not say. And I'm pretty certain of, of what I'm about to tell you. The Bible does not say that we will not be in love in heaven. Matter of fact, I think we're going to experience something in heaven with relationships that far exceeds marriage, that marriage could not even compare to it. I'm looking forward to that day that I can love my wife in a different way because let's face it, our love right now, it's conditional. We fight and we try to make it not conditional, but it is conditional. Because there's moments when I love my wife more if she does and says what I want her to. I know your pastor's not supposed to admit that, but you think it. There's moments when my wife loves me more when I do and I say what she wants me to do and say. Our love is conditional and we fight and we try to make it this model marriage that, that everything is, is lining up and it's, everything's perfect and all this kind of stuff. But deep down, we know that there are moments when our spouse makes us happier than at other times. And so it's this conditional love and I'm longing for that day that I can experience true love. You know, the Bible says that God is love. The Bible also says that love never fails. Because God is love and love never fails. God never fails. And so I know that there's coming a day and it will only happen in the perfection of that moment when we're standing with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that we experience true love to its fullest. And I can't wait for that moment because on that day I will not have to put up with her stubbornness. It's different. On that day she will not have to put up with my selfishness. Because there's no sin. There's no sin there. There's, there's no reason to be selfish. And so we're going to experience life better. Life in heaven is just that. It's better. But in order for things to be better, they must be different. And so you're not going to have the marriage like you have right now. 
So your relationship in heaven will be different than it is here on earth. A good different, not a bad different. And thank God for that. Because marriage here on earth, here and now, in this moment, it can be difficult. How many of you know it can be difficult? If you're in your first six months of marriage, get ready. Who am I kidding? If you're in your first six weeks of marriage, get ready. The rug is about to be pulled out from underneath you. Marriage can be difficult, and then you add children to that mix, and the difficulties just increase and increase. I'm talking people out of getting married right now. Some of you are ready, ready to run. Usually around the spring, my wedding schedule, performing weddings and, and, and all that, it gets pretty busy. And so I, I time this perfectly so that I don't have to do a lot of weddings during the spring. So. <laughs> when it comes to your family on earth, you tend to focus on the here and now. I do it. You do it. We all do it. When it comes to life situations and life scenarios, we focus on the here and now, but we've got to learn to focus on the then and there because that's coming. The kingdom of God is coming. Get ready. It's going to happen. Here and now will cause you to want to give up. Here and now will lead you to believe that there's just no hope for your marriage. Here and now will cause you to be blinded to what God wants for your life. In the here and now, he's hard-headed, and she's let herself go. In the here and now, he has no sense of romance, and she wears flannel pajamas. In the here and now, he somehow developed back hair, and she's got to get her lip waxed. In the here and now, she drinks too much and she flirts with another man at work. The here and now can deceive you. Because sometimes the here and now is hopeless. It's useless. When we learn to turn our focus to the then and there, and we start looking towards that day that we get to spend eternity in heaven with no sorrows, no tears, no pain. The Bible says those are the former things of life. It makes us a promise that he's going to wipe away every tear. Then and there is what we have to look forward to. And it's real. It's just as real as I'm standing here talking to you right now. It's as real as that chair that you're sitting in. Then and there is coming faster than what we think. You see, we want the fairy tale happily ever after marriages right now. But, but we don't have it right now here in, in the here and now. Uh, but, but what we need are happily ever after life marriages is what we need. Because there is. There's life after this one. There is an eternity. There is somewhere that we are going to spend the rest of our days. The Bible says that this life is just but a vapor. This is just a breath. That's it. And I'll tell you that the real reason that till death do us part, the real reason that that scares me 
is that I know that one day every member of my household will stand before God and be judged. And that frightens me. If that doesn't change your perspective on your marriage and on your family, there's something wrong with you. To know that my wife will one day stand before the creator of the universe to know that one day my children not together separately will stand before God Almighty and be judged by their fruit it makes me want to live my life in a completely different way. Hebrews 9 and 27 says each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment. It's all of us, everybody in this room. But let me tell you something. I'm not responsible for all of your households, but I am responsible for mine. It scares me. Because I'm an imperfect man trying to lead my imperfect family into the presence of a perfect God. It's a huge responsibility. And more than anything else, it's the biggest responsibility that I have in my life. And what scares me even more is that I get one chance to get it right. That doesn't mean I can't make mistakes in it. Thank God for grace. It just means I get one chance to get this right in my lifetime. That this life that I live right now is preparing my family to meet their maker. I get nervous when opportunities come around for my kids that I can't control. If Kendall is competing in a talent competition, playing her guitar and singing, I have no control over the outcome of it, and so I get nervous. I do. I get knots in my stomach for her. I do. And so I'll do whatever I can to help prepare her. God has extremely blessed me far beyond what, what, what I deserve that I'm able to connect with my children on two different ways. With Kendall being a musician, I get to connect with her that way and I get to, to teach her and to learn with her as we study music together. And so before she sings in a competition, I'll do whatever I have to do to help prepare her for that moment. You can ask her. I will make her play a song over and over and over. And about the time she thinks it's right, I'm going to make her play it over and over and over. And I tell her, listen, if you're going to sing out there in front of people, whether it be in a worship service or, or, or maybe if it's, if it's a concert venue or, or a singing competition, whatever it is, they're there to hear you. So I want you to make eye contact with them. So what Kendall does is she learns the music. She's got this amazing mind, better than, than me. I'm telling you, Dad has to have music up here on stage she has this ability to memorize the music and she will get up there 
and she will entertain a crowd or if it's in a worship setting, she'll lead them into the presence of God without music. Because dad has said, learn it without music. Do it. You're going to be more effective if you would do it this way. And so she practices over and over and over. And I've been backstage with her before, before she would go on and, and perform. And, and, and standing backstage with knots in my stomach, I would look at her and I would say, did you remember to tune your guitar? Let's tune it again because you don't want to walk out on stage and, and be playing an out-of-tune guitar because it's not fun for anybody in the room to listen to that. And so I, I take the, 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 the necessary steps to make sure that she is prepared for that performance. And then I get to connect with Caleb on a different level through sports. And if Caleb is competing in a sporting event, I get nervous for him. Friday of this past week, I had this huge knot in my stomach all day long. All day because that night, my son was playing in the district basketball tournament. And so all day long, I just have this, this feeling that I can't control. I, I can't do anything about this. And, and in my mind, I'm playing these scenarios. Did I make him shoot enough free throws in practice did, did, did I prepare him properly? What if he gets fouled at the end of a game and has an opportunity to win the game? I mean, that's a dream of his. You know, who doesn't want to go to the free throw line and, and, and hit the, the tying, you know, free throw or even the, the go-ahead free throw? And, and so did I make sure that he was prepared enough? Did I do what I needed to do to coach him and to get him ready for that moment? And it's why last Sunday after church, after lunch, we, we, we went down to the high school gym and Caleb and I, just the two of us right there, I probably had him put up at least 250 shots from around the perimeter, just wearing his arms out, just, just breaking down everything about his shots so that we could make sure that when the time came, he was prepared for that. And then when he was good and tired, you know what it feels like when you're good and tired? I, I would have him go to the free throw line and I would have him shoot free throws and he would have to make five in a row before he could step away from that free throw line and for us to run another drill because I wanted to make sure that at the end of a game when he's good and tired if he goes to the free throw line he's got the presence of mind and he is prepared for that moment why do I do that because I want my children prepared I want to do what I can in a way that I connect with them I want to do whatever I can to make sure they are ready for that moment and here's what I'm concerned with. I'm concerned that sometimes we are more concerned with our kids and their extracurricular activities than we are with their eternal destination. This is, this is me included. Are we more concerned with their extracurricular activities or is their eternal destination what's the most important thing we care more about baseball, basketball, gymnastics, band, soccer than we do about the moment that they're going to stand before the creator of the universe and be judged by him. And as, as much as I wish I could get them out of that, I can't. They're going to stand before God by themselves one day. And I just want to be concerned with that. I want to know that I did everything that I possibly could to exemplify 
a relationship with Jesus Christ, that when they fail, that there's grace and there's mercy, but there's also consequences for your actions. I want to make sure that they know how to treat their wife. My wife wants to make sure that my daughter knows how to treat her husband. That they see Christ living through us and we prepare them for eternity. You might say, well, pastor, that's just not true of, of my life. Well, let me ask you this. Have you invested as much time in their eternal reward as you have in their earthly recreation? It's a tough question for us parents, isn't it? Have you invested as much in their eternal reward as you have in their earthly recreation? Let me ask you this. Have you invested at all in your spouse's eternity? Have you extended grace to your spouse? Because Christ extended grace to you. If you're on, honest with me today, you're the brutal honest answer just may be no. And I know it's tough to hear. You should try preaching it. When you've got 400 people staring back at you throughout the day going, really? This is what you chose to preach to me today? I don't want you to be misled at all. I'm not my fam family's savior. That's not who I am. I'm not, my I'm not capable of doing that. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I can't provide salvation for my family. I did nothing to secure my family's salvation. I did not pay the price for their eternity. Jesus accomplished that for them when he died on a cross for their sins, and he rose again. He secured all of that. However, please listen to me parents I do have a duty and responsibility to exemplify a love that points them to the Savior I have an ongoing responsibility with my wife and with my kids to point them to the cross because there's not a day that goes by that I don't need to die daily and the same for them I have a responsibility to teach them to take up their cross and to follow Christ I have a responsibility to show them that at times life gets tough but just because life gets tough doesn't mean that you need to give up. And you certainly don't need to give up on God. I love my family. You have to understand that. I hope you know that. I want my wife and my children to have a great life. But more than that, I want them to have an even better eternity. Because whatever they get right, right here, I don't, if it's 40 years, if it's 80 years, whatever they get on this planet, it is just a small moment, just a vapor of eternity of what's going to happen forever and forever. And so with eternity in mind, it's the reason why I make decisions as a parent that they don't always make me popular. Can I get on my soapbox just for a moment? I don't care if you want me to or not. Parents, stop trying to be their best friend. 
You can be a friend to your child. There's moments when I enjoy their company, enjoy their friendship, but God has not called me to be their best friend. He's called me to be a spiritual authority in their life, and he's called all parents in this room to be a spiritual authority in the lives of your children. That means there's moments when you're going to have to make the hard call, and they're not going to understand it, they're not going to get it, they're not going to like it, but you're pointing them towards heaven. The Bible says that he has set eternity in the hearts of men. We have got to get back to that. We have got to understand that eternity is real, it's forever, and they're going to stand before God one day. And so I have to make decisions right now, not as their best friend, but as the spiritual authority in their life. That's what we have to do. Stop trying to be the coolest dad. Coming from the guy that everybody says is having a midlife crisis and has a hipster haircut. Okay, whatever. It's about as cool as I get, to be honest. My kids will tell you, I'm not their best friend. I'm not. Don't wanna be, don't claim to be. They know I love them far beyond a friendship. I love them so much that I wanna make sure that they're ready to stand before God. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, enter by the narrow gate. Notice what he's saying. He's saying the way I want you to go, it is a narrow gate, it's not wide. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter, it, enter by it are many. He says those that are going through the wide gate, the one that leads to destruction, he says there, there are many of them, there's lots of them. But verse 14, he says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Parents, listen to this verse. The way for your children to make it to heaven, to spend eternity with God, it is a narrow gate and only a few find it is what he says. The words of Christ are very clear. Not everybody gets to experience eternal life. I wish that they could, but our sovereign God, that his ways are higher than ours, says that there is only one way and it's a narrow gate and only few find it. So as fathers and mothers and parents, what are you doing to make sure that they find the narrow gate? What are you exemplifying in their lives to make sure that they find that passageway? What are you doing to prepare them for that encounter with God? I want you to listen to the words of Christ right after he tells us that there's really no need for marriage in heaven. He keeps talking and he says some things that are very enlightening. If you listen to this, Matthew 22, starting at verse 30, he says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Listen to this. This is key. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Listen, if your spouse and your children are spiritually dead, and it's possible, he says he's not their God. He's the God of the living and not the dead. And so it's our responsibility 
as husbands, wives, fathers, mothers. It's our responsibility to help each other and to help our families become spiritually awakened and living so that he is our God and so that when we stand there, he can look at us individually and look at my children and look at my wife and say, well done, you good and faithful servant. You may enter into the joys of the Lord. But man, it should frighten us to think that our children could stand before God Almighty and he would call them a worker of iniquity and tell them to depart from him. And so your marriage may seem hopeless here and now. In this current moment that you're living in, it may seem lost, hopeless, Stop focusing on the here and now and start focusing on the then and there because it's coming. The kingdom of God is approaching faster every day. Don't. Don't get caught up in the here and now. Start looking at the then and there because we've got a responsibility to prepare our families for that encounter when they stand before God. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, Log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.